I'm gonna Wichita. Far from this opera for forevermore. I'm gonna work the star. Make the sweat drip out of every pore. And I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding right before the Lord. All the words are gonna play from me and I will sing no more. And the stings coming from my blood tells me go back home. Go back home. Well, well, welcome. So it's Monday. Um, when to say October for some reason. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so it's March 22nd, 2021. I guess I'm way ahead of myself, seven months ahead. So today is going to be a great week. It's already shaped up to be a great week. Um, it's uh, looking like it's going to move really fast uh, in regards to filings. I'm moving along quite swiftly uh, in the state of Ohio. Uh, so it's going to be, uh, quite interesting, quite interesting. Um, there's a lot we should talk about, but first let's talk about a comment that I made on my telegram group so that everyone can understand what I meant. So the border we all know is a big issue, big issue, huge, huge hypocrisy, like no other allowing people in the border, uh, with, um, COVID just running rampant, supposedly. I mean, this is a, an apparent pandemic, but we're just letting them lose. Really big deal. It is. I agree. But see, that's a story for the mainstream media, not for the real media. That's the problem that we have here, right? That uh, alternative media that's supposed to be focusing on what we need to be focusing on is reactive media to the mainstream media. The mainstream media is for those that are asleep or those that are the in-betweens, right? The in-betweens that are not understanding what's going on, that kind of think they're in a pandemic. Others kind of not think so. Other people are slowly waking up to this facade, these falsities. But to see that the alternative media is not reporting actual news that matters right now, right? They're thumping off the information that is being widely obfuscated by the mainstream media. So we have mainstream media left, mainstream media, media right. Both controlled narratives, both of them. Allow them to battle it out. At this point, you shouldn't even be paying attention right now to that. Because it doesn't matter. What you should be paying attention to is arming yourself with knowledge to understand what is happening and how things are moving forward. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, really interesting that they're flooding every single avenue of speech that we have with the narrative that, the, that we need the mainstream media to start talking about. Leave it up to the clowns. I mean, you know exactly who they are and the people that are thumping. I mean... When does Obama's former Secret Service agent become the mouthpiece for conservatives? I don't know. I guess in this universe, just saying, and all these people owned by the same damn companies. It's, it's hilarious to watch, and it's hilarious for their narrative to break down 
it's quite fascinating how the Ides, I guess, Sunshine Week occurred the week before uh, the HBO documentary. I don't want to talk too much about it, but it was incredible to watch. It was incredible to watch because out of all of them, the two episodes that I was watching while I was on a conference call, so I was just grasping things, it shows they clearly identified when things shift and what it is, and it clearly identifies what and who constitutes it. <laughs> so that's even funnier. Um, I'm going to leave it at that because it's like everybody knows, but nobody wants to say it, right? They, they think, and they're like, uh, uh, but hmm. It's kind of interesting. So we're going to leave it there because I'm just going to let that narrative drown on its own. And in, in, unless Amazon Prime has it, if you have an HBO subscription, we could do Watch Party together. But uh, I'm just going to say, I know that people are already circulating it ripped on Telegram regardless. But um, it's like... <laughs> It's like, I want to say, hashtag told you so, uh, <laughs> but I won't. Later on today, I will be having a stereo talk with Patrick Berge. I promised that I would stay away from certain things with him, so that'll be good. Now, uh, where do we start? Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, first of all, let's start to, damn, all these unidentified people on the FBI website seem to be all federal employees, assets of the agency, leftists that we had in Zoom calls. And I was glad to see the Zoom, one of the Zoom call videos being put out and circulated, you know, finally, seven months later. I mean, the the shilling alt media is totally losing momentum. They have absolutely zero things to talk about. Unless the DIA decides to uh, come in on a hijack, but I hear that's going to be on an alternative place. Oh, hint. So um, they're running out of stuff. They're just reactive media now. Chit, 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 chit. Here's where we're going to focus on things that we need to uh, keep our eyes on. Uh, the FBI seems to be doctoring grainy images. It turns out that um, the article that I posted today identifying suspect 6-0 has actually been an altered image because I found that person's images on alternative media channels and they don't look as the way that that picture looks, which leads me to believe that even the photos that they're putting on there of, oh, we're looking for these people or doctored. And because the FBI is putting it out there, no one's actually going to look at it. And what scares me the most is that they're making it so vague that people like Freddie Klein can be arrested uh, just because they kind of look like a grainy image, but may not be. And it might be an altered, doctored, as they say, image. So I'm still working on that uh, to gather that evidence because that is huge. All right. Huge. But on the other hand, come on, guys. Look at these people, right? Look at these people that are federal employees, like that chick that I showed this morning, right? My counterpart has been all over that. That person went to, you know, Clinton school, totally into like dealing with overpopulation by dealing with consumerism. So basically starve out the poor people so we can have a balance in overpopulation. Like that is the undertone. 
These are the types of people that are working in federal offices, people that are discriminating against you because you lack pigmentation in your skin. These are the people that have jobs that you're paying for. And these are the people that are facilitating their wants, their needs, and what they believe in through their jobs. See, that chick worked for the federal government. And remember, on that Zoom call with federal employees, they were pushing the coup. They were talking about, you know, getting inspiration from the Arab Arab Spring, putting things together, organizing riots, seeing how far they would go. You know, are you willing to go to jail? Are you willing to cause harm? Like, what is it? So these are the people there. What makes you think that we don't have clowns like that in the FBI? Come on. We had a SISA employee there on the Zoom Zoom calls. What makes you think that there aren't any of those in the FBI? That's the question. That's the question. That is the big question. We're working on that. We are very much so working on that. Now, another thing that is astounding is that big corporations are now pushing uh, rewards for vaccines. You know, show me your papers, you know, you get a free donut. That's totally something a Nazi would say. I'm pretty sure Nazis were rewarding Jews for wearing their yellow stars nicely. It's, It's the most incredible thing I have ever seen. This push, this unapologetic push by corporations. Again, who runs the world? Right. There we go. Now, um, I want us to visit uh, what it means to be bribed, um, how people are bribed. But before we go there, I want you to listen to this report. Okay. This report is from, where's it from? Um, Thank you, counterpart, for this. This report is from News 6 um, in Orlando. And they are urging people not to share the vaccine certificates on social media. Here's why. In the instant you get just the first dose of the coronavirus vaccine, it provides a sense of relief for many. And it's good news that you know your family and friends will appreciate. These days, if we want to get the word out about something, we post about it on social media. Yes, but like everything, got to think twice. And while you may be tempted to post a vaccine selfie, the Better Business Bureau says, not so fast. ClickOrlando.com's Brianna Bowles is here to explain the warning, Brie. Well, Candice, if you're on social media, we know you are. Chances are you've seen a post-vaccine selfie or picture. Now, once you get a COVID-19 vaccine, you walk out with a bandage and a vaccination record card. And while this record card is positive proof that you're one step safer from the coronavirus, the Better Business Bureau says it's not safe to post that card online. Vaccination cards have personal information on them, like your full name, your birthday, and where you got your vaccine. And if your social media privacy settings aren't set high enough, you may be giving valuable information away for other people to use. Now, it's not just your personal information scammers could be after. They could use your real card to make a phony card. And if you think that probably won't happen, well, it already has. Scammers in Great Britain were caught selling fake vaccination cards on eBay and TikTok, and it's only a matter of time before that starts in the U.S. So here's what we suggest. Yes, you can still post a vaccine selfie, but just show your vaccine sticker. And if you don't have a sticker, you can show off your bandage. Here's an example of doing just that. This viewer got his first dose this week, and his shoulder bandage pick says a lot. 
In fact, it says just enough, just the right amount. Also, for Facebook users, you can actually search for a COVID vaccine-related frame to put on your profile pic. So a good way to spread the word about this warning is sharing this web story, and you can, of course, find that over on clickorlando.com. Yep. So don't post certificates, guys, because they're going to be counterfeit certificates. Sounds like maybe we need to digitize those certificates now since people are going to be counterfeiting them. Kind of fits into the narrative, right? That's exactly what they want. You see, of course, people are going to counterfeit them because for some reason, people believe that um, you're supposed to get it no matter what. What people don't understand is this is an experimental vaccine. This is under the uh, Emergency Authorization Act. Uh, so <laughs> um, it's so incredible when you see people thinking that an employer can force them to get a vaccine. It's not a lot. It's illegal, actually. It is illegal to make someone believe that they have the right to enforce them to be guinea pigs, because right now that's what everyone is who's taking this vaccine, because it's not FDA approved. So in the United States of America, nobody can force you to be part of an experimental group. Every single vaccine you take is always part of an experimental cohort, right? Every location you go to get your vaccine, every pharmacy, every doctor's office, they go by demographics. If you pay attention to any vaccine or shot you get, they scan barcodes twice, two different systems. Why? Because they check your demographics, your education, where you live, how much money you make, and they target you and they give a certain form of the vaccine for those cohorts. That's fact. That is super fact. Nice little FOIA would reveal it all. But, you know, I did try that back in, I don't know, 2011. And I got the, it's uh, covered by HIPAA and you can't have it. And it's like, but I don't want people's information. I want information that shows that you use demographics to send target pools of formulas of the same vaccine and variations from what vector was it was used to grow, uh, what kind of RNA strands you were using, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, blanket claim. Uh, I mean, it could have helped if I put my name on it, but at that time, I was trying to not draw too much attention to myself at that point. So, bribery. Back in the day, and I'm so glad, two pharmacists had come forward in Illinois to whistleblow and filed key TAMs against Walgreens. Why? Medicare and Medicaid patients and other patients were being coaxed into changing their pharmacy over to Walgreens or CVS with gift cards. In fact, that practice still exists by giving them free money to purchase things like toothpaste and stuff from a catalog that they send them. And these are all benefits, right? They give them a gift card to sign over all their medications to them, and they coax them. That's called bribery. Kind of sounds like what Krispy Kreme is doing kind of sounds very Nazi-ish. In fact, in 2012, the federal government themselves had said, and I quote, this case represents the government's strong commitment to pursuing improper practices in the retail pharmacy industry that have the effect of manipulating patient decisions. I mean, a donut's a donut for a whole year for free, right? 
This case vindicates and protects the interests of consumers throughout the nation by ensuring that they remain free from undue influence by large retail chains when making decisions about which pharmacies to entrust their own individual health care, said Andre Barot Jr., which was the U.S. attorney for the Central District of California. The law prohibits pharmacies from using their retail clout to lure patients whose prescriptions are subsidized by the government, said Barbara L. McQuaid, U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Boy, look at all those attorneys from around the nation. And the acting assistant attorney general for the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice was there too, saying this case represents the government's strong commitment to pursuing improper practices in the retail pharmacy industry that have an effect in manipulating patient decisions. Where are all these guys now? Where you have companies offering free shit if you go get vaccinated with something experimental. Where are they? I, I just, I maybe they're on vacation. <laughs> or maybe it's been nine years and they totally forgot, right? They totally forgot that whole judgment thing. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe they totally forgot. Wait, the law is this. Oops, forgot. Maybe we need more key tams filed. Maybe we just need to be spreading the news because distractions are a really big deal. Um, actually, I thought... Um, there was this uh, nice, concise. Is traction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull, and both end in the same six-letter word, A-C-T-I-O-N. It spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want, things that you are doing with intent. Now, the opposite of traction is distraction, anything you do that pulls you away from what you plan to do with intent. So this is incredibly important to understand this distinction because of two reasons. Number one, it frees us from this ridiculous moral hierarchy that somehow your pastime is morally inferior to my pastime. You playing Candy Crush, that's not okay. But me watching football for three hours, yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's ridiculous. Anything you plan to do with intent is traction. If As long as it's in line with your values, it's perfectly okay. Now, what we don't want to do is to stumble into distraction. And this happens oftentimes when we think we are doing something that benefits us. For example, we sit down at our desk and we say we're definitely going to work on that big project right after we check that email or right after we look at that Slack channel or Google something real quick. It might feel worky, it might feel productive, but it's, if it's not what you plan to do with your time, it is just as much of a pernicious distraction. So when we think about why we get distracted, we need to go a layer deeper to really start with the fundamentals of why we do everything that we do. And it turns out that all human motivation, if you ask most people, why do we do what we do, they will tell you some form of carrots and sticks. Now, this is known as Freud's pleasure principle, which says that everything we do is about seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. However, neurologically speaking, that is not true. In fact, from a neurological perspective, it's pain all the way down. This is called the homeostatic response, that when the body senses some kind of discomfort, it prompts us to action to fix that uncomfortable state. If we're cold, we put on a jacket. If we walk back inside and now it's warm, we take it off. So these are physiological responses, and the same is true for our psychological responses. When we are lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google something. And when we're bored, we watch the news, we check uh, stock prices, sports scores, all sorts of things cater to this uncomfortable sensation of boredom. And so what we need to understand is that distraction, like every behavior, starts from within. It's triggered by what's called an 
internal trigger, some kind of uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape. So when we are looking at our devices or checking email or looking at any kind of distraction or action that takes us off track, fundamentally what we need to understand is this core truth that distraction starts from within and that time management is pain management. Ha! Huh. So that's interesting. Distractions are pain management. It is painful to know the truth. It's painful to have uncomfortable conversations. It's painful to realize that you've been duped. It's painful for people to realize <laughs> that people got the best of them. Distraction is key. When you want to win a war, you distract them. Well, it's kind of like in every movie that you've seen when someone's being hunted down. What do they do? They grab a stone. They throw it across the field. It makes noise. And the person's distracted by that noise. And rather than going to you, they follow the little rock that they just heard. Right? This is very, very important. And it's key to be able to dominate someone's thoughts. Distractions. Heavy distractions. Distractions with things that make no sense. No matter how much you try to feed that monster, when your eyes can see and your ears can hear, unfortunately, you can't be distracted anymore. And that, ah, to the marionettes and their puppet masters is a very big problem. Be watching this video distracting yourself from those emails you said you'd get around to doing. And perhaps later you feel guilty for your lack of focus. Well, don't beat yourself up too much. There's a scientific reason for your distractibility. A study carried out by scientists at Princeton University and the University of California, Berkeley, concluded that our brains refocus our attention four times every single second. Well, uh, our brains have limited processing resources, meaning that we can't simultaneously process all the information in our complex environment at the highest level. Instead, the brain has developed a collection of mechanisms that determine which aspects of the envir environment should receive preferential processing. And this collection of mechanisms is referred to as attention. My name is Ian Fiebelkorn. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist at Princeton University. The mechanism of attention that is most often studied is spatial attention, where we boost the processing of a specific location. That's the process our brains go through when we, for example, walk into a room at a party. There's an enormous amount of information in this space. Lots of people, their faces, clothing, where they're standing. The list is endless. We are phenomenally good at processing this data, but not all at once. Our brain sifts this information into levels of importance. What we need to know now, what can wait till later, and what can be dismissed entirely. Spatial attention has often been compared to a spotlight that continuously scans the environment, uh, stopping or pausing to illuminate behaviorally relevant aspects of the environment or locations. The classic view of spatial attention or this metaphorical spotlight uh, is that it, the strength of that sp spotlight is continuous. However, our work has shown that instead, uh, this spotlight seems to be dimming four times per second. So. When we think we're giving something our full attention, we're still distractible, almost constantly. And so the question is, why would that be? 
we've proposed that this dimming of our metaphorical spotlight prevents us from becoming overly focused on any single location in the environment. It provides these windows of opportunity when it's easier to disengage from the presently attended location and shift our attention to another location or aspect of the environment. There's a network of brain regions that directs this metaphorical spotlight of spatial attention. Within this network, there's uh, what we refer to as neural oscillations. And so basically, uh, it's, it's like a sine wave, right? There are peaks and there are troughs. And you can conceptualize these sine waves. In your so weird. So weird. Um, so it's a frequency. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Your brain or these, you know, it's just, it's just a wave, right? The peaks of that are like high excitability states. That means that the neurons are, are really ready to fire. And so if a visual stimulus happens to occur at that peak, when the neurons are ready to fire, you're more likely to detect that visual stimulus. And if it happens instead at a trough, where the neurons are less ready to fire, you're more likely to miss that stimulus. The study shows for the first time that our brains are constantly alternating between two different states. One that is associated with focus and one that's associated with distractibility. Through our evolution, again, you could see how this could be, could be to our advantage, right, in a survival mode where you're, you're out foraging, there might be a predator and you don't want to miss that predator because you're overly focused on the task at hand. But in a modern office environment, those distractions aren't critical to your survival. They're just keeping you from being able to focus on something you need to do. And so something that helped us through evolution could be hurting us in another context. In both our work and personal lives, various technologies are vying for our attention. And the current pandemic has only made this more apparent. In order to do our jobs and continue an active social life, we rely on these devices more than ever. The very thing that was designed to aid our productivity is in fact doing the opposite. And that's no accident. So how have companies optimized products to take advantage of our inherent distractibility? Of course, when it comes to our technology, the same mechanic of, uh, of, of pulling on a slot machine in a casino is also at work when it comes to scrolling a feed. It's the same exact psychology of a variable reward. This is Nir Al. He's a behavioral designer and best-selling author. His 2013 book, Hooked, advised companies how to make habit-forming products. Six years later, he released Indistractable, which offers a way for those of us who found themselves habitually using a product to take back control. Today, because of the data that is being collected on us as we use these tools, we are manufacturing the products in real time based on the data we give these companies. You are investing in the service, giving it data to customize the experience just for you. For the first time, products no longer depreciate. You think about it, when, when a consumer buys a product, that product loses value with, with usage, with wear and tear, it depreciates. But habit-forming products should do the opposite. They actually appreciate because they store value the more they are used. So if you think the world is distracting today, just wait a few years. This trend is not reversing. These tools are here to stay, and if anything, the world will become a more distracting place in the years to come. 
as we have the confluence of more data transmitted at faster speeds and greater accessibility to these tools, that means that if you are looking for distraction, then distraction you will find. So if there's one thing I want people to remember when it comes to distraction, it's that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. So if you have the chocolate cake on the fork and it's on its way to your mouth, it's too late. If you're about to take a puff of that cigarette and the cigarette is lit in your hand, you've lost. If you're sleeping next to your cell phone inches from your bed, they're gonna get you because it's too late. However, there's no algorithm, there's no consumer psychology principle, there's nothing that these products can do that can't be prevented with taking steps in advance. Simple things like turning off notifications, which two thirds of people with a smartphone never do. Things like changing our, our uh, desktop uh, on our computer to make sure that there's less distraction on our, on our uh, devices. Uh, things like changing distraction in the workplace. We know that as much as we blame technology for distracting us, one of the greatest sources of distraction in the workplace is the open floor plan office. So acknowledging the fact that distraction has been around forever uh, and that people have been getting distracted well before these modern tech tools indicates to us that the source of the distraction is not the technology. That's simply the proximal cause. That's the symptom, not the root cause. The real cause of distraction is that most distraction starts from within us. And our desire to escape an uncomfortable sensation like boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, stress, fatigue, this is the real source of distraction. And if we don't tackle what's called the internal triggers, we will always find distraction somewhere. So that is 100% <laughs> factual. Thanks to Bloomberg. Um, I get distracted a lot. There, you know, when I'm uh, thinking really, really hard and I have a lot of things to do when I have a deadline, the one thing I do is jump either on my Xbox or my computer and I start gaming. And as I'm gaming in my mind, one part of my mind, the motor mind, is distracted with video games. I can then parse through information and then be like, oh, that's what's up. But there are other times where I'm just like, I'm done. Like, I'm so done. I, like, don't want to do anything and just play, like, a mindless game like Dinner Dash, you know, uh, that just focuses on my time management and my OCD to get, like, master in every level. I get anxious uh, when I have a lot of messages because a lot of people don't seem to understand I am one person. And um, I am doing a lot of things that I don't talk about. And it's and it's hard uh, to to feel, you know, I get nasty messages from people like, you're not even responding. And it's like, dude, I get thousands of messages like I don't even see this stuff. Uh, you know, it's just like this is why I don't even control the rooms at all. I don't. This is all you guys. You, the people run the place, not me. OK, I'm just here doing my thing. You know, I think people forget that everybody needs to turn off and that, you know, there's one person. So, distractions. Today, the news cycle is a full distraction. We've been talking about the border from January. We already knew what was happening. 
We knew that they were letting in COVID patients. We knew they were being caged up in atrocious ways. We knew that they were refusing to let us. But again, look at the controlled message. Uh, that's what you need to focus on, the controlled message. The only way to control the people is to control both messages, the pro and against, the against and the pro. You, you handle both of them. The people are just simply spectators and will go to whichever one is loudest or that speaks to them. The sooner you realize it, the faster things get better. The faster things get better. Now, oh, but there was an expose by this person. I'm not saying that they're part of the narrative, but what I'm saying is their, their investigative report was being done before the narrative came, which means that both the right and the left, they're now pushing this message, are pushing this reactive response based on the fact that they want to obfuscate what James O'Keefe is doing. Do you get what I'm saying? When things are coming out to light, they will suffocate it with their own back and forth, back and forth. That is exactly what's happening. That is like a PSYOP 101. Confuse the shit out of your targets and make them not know which way to go. Make them not know which way to go, and you win, and you win, and you win. Now, all of this happens to confuse you, because confusion is what makes you vulnerable. You don't, you know, you know how many messages I read? Tell us who to follow. Tell us to give us your list. I don't give any lists. I'm telling you don't listen to anybody but yourself. You know, I'm telling you don't even listen to me. Uh, you know, end of story, it's it's you that has to decide. I can't force you to drink water when I take you to the lake. You decide if you want to drink it. That's the way it is. I can't force you to do anything. This is it. The best, I'll tell you what, years and years and years ago, the only way a situation could be handled by was, was by confusing everybody involved. So there was that nation's legit government, the government we wanted, and the government that nobody wanted, that wanted to self-govern and wanted to overthrow the two, but they were like really crazy. Uh, crazy like to the point that they like execute people with machetes in the street uh, if they don't listen to the rules. So they were a bit cray-cray, okay? So there's three of those. Then we had like this external factor, which are two bright minds of war strategy that both had opposing strategies to do things. So then, you know, the big guns get called in and it's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to confuse the fuck out of all five of them. So then while all of them are chasing each other's tails, we can put the people that are necessary into power in that government and I remember when making the, the case for this, I was looked at, uh, you know, I don't know if that works where you come from. And it's like, pff, you've got no other choice. You either listen to me or you listen to one of the other scenarios. Either or you're going to have bad press. You're going to have blood on your hands. And this is the way it is. If you confuse them all and they're going around in their tails and they're chasing their tails, then there's a storm and you're sitting in the middle of the storm where there's calm and you place the people you want where you need them in order to bring a middle ground and everyone's none the wiser. And that's basically it. That's basically it. And this is exactly what is being reproduced here against Americans. It is a weapon of destruction. Like, 
Patrick Berge said. He built the weapon of destruction, and it's being deployed on the people. He sees it because he knew it. Same goes for me. I created it. I can see it. I know it. So there we go. And it's like nobody wants to hear that. I mean, in the end, everyone's going to circle back to everything Shadowgate said. In the end, everyone's going to circle back to my 20, 2005, 2010, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, and 20 filings about the elections. They're going to get back to what I said in the beginning, regardless if they like it or not. Because right now, all of them have been chasing their fucking tails, and it's all circling right back. They're all going around in a storm round and round and round like a cyclone and the truth is standing still right in the middle saying unleash me and I will destroy the storm but nobody wants to nobody wants to everybody wants to you know think that their you know tail chasing is better than the other in the end it always comes down to this the damn truth the truth period the truth you don't like it too bad you don't, you don't seem to like the person giving you the truth. It doesn't matter. You don't need to consider the source of the damn facts. It's a fact. So what if you found out that Pythagoras, who invented the Pythagoras... <laughs> he didn't really invent it. Someone told him, but okay. That's another story for another time. But what if you didn't like him? Because he wore Birkenstocks, didn't cut his toenails, you know, demanded people to call him they, uh, and uh, thought that he was better than everyone, and, you know, had a ginger beard but pink hair. Say you didn't like him at all, Okay. At all. Like, you loathe the guy because he was a complete arse, too. He would just be rude to everyone. He didn't care. So what are you going to do? Ignore his math? <laughs> That's fact that he just presented because you don't like him? Or maybe he was chilling with, like, really bad leaders, and he's, like, a really bad guy, the guy that he was hanging out with, and maybe all his friends were pieces of crap, right? Maybe all of them. All of them were rubbish people, inhuman. Maybe the majority of them were so disgusting. They would kill people at will. They would change borders because they felt like it. They would drop bombs on places. They would use drone strikes when they shouldn't. You know, all that stuff, right? Say that he hung out with all of them. Were you still not going to take his math proof because you didn't like who he hung out with? No, no, no. You would totally freaking take his math proof and say, he's an asshole. I don't like him. He hangs out with bad people. But damn, his math is so solid, it's irrefutable. When has truth, right, been attached to where it comes from? When has truth been attached to who you hung out with or maybe who you work with, you know? So if you worked with Obama, I should assume you're a piece of shit. So then why is Bongino taking Russia's spot? I'm confused. I thought that because you worked for someone like Hussein, uh, you should be a bad person. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. See, that's the thing. So when I saw you guys posting from other investi supposed investigative journalists, right, that really tried to hijack this, uh, this movement, you know, uh, you know, posting like, I don't trust them. They work for them. And they said they could still be. Yeah, I could still be. What do you know? What do you know? I could still be. But if I was, right, I wouldn't be in the position I was. Right? I wouldn't. But regardless, if you think that or not, it's still true.
Everything I've been saying is true. Every single thing. From my posts on image boards to the internet, on the mainstream, on the back end of the Freedom Net, of the tour, the undernet, you name it. Nothing's been off. I mean, are you going to tell me about Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Actually, I would direct you to the doctor that headed the cancer facility at Sloan Kettering that was fired. <laughs> you know, he was RBG's doctor. Just saying. So, distractions. Willingly, unwillingly, just saying. Willingly or unwillingly, you're still a fucking distraction. When, you know, nobody has any news, like no one's breaking any news. Breaking, where's the breaking news? You're just following on the heels of whatever CNN is saying, whatever this person's saying. I'm really, really glad though, I'm really glad that Ratcliffe is singing another tune. I'm really, really glad he pushed, uh, you know, Maria Bartiromo to ask certain questions. Oh, no, it just so happened she put him in that place. Stop. <laughs> Maria used to be in politics, and she still reports to the agency. Let's not get shit twisted, okay? Let's keep that stuff straight. So I want us to listen to, listen to, because we can't play it, because Fox gets really upset. Um, I want you guys to listen to um, an interview of what John Ratcliffe uh said on um, Maria's show. Take a listen. The most John, uh, you have seen in your role the most intelligence that anybody has seen other than the president as the director of national intelligence. And I've been wanting to ask you this next question for a while. I want to ask you about UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Um, the, the Pentagon is going to come out with a report by June 1st, and in the $2.3 trillion omnibus appropriations legislation passed in January, it includes the Intelligence Authorization Act, money for the Pentagon to continue investigating UFOs, John. We're going to get this report. I just want to say something. So when did this report happen? Oh, it happened over the weekend. When did we talk about aliens? Oh, before that. But you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Shit. I just say things completely out of the blue and I pull it out of my tush, right? Remember when we showed the video about the professor saying, look at these things. Yeah. Hydrogen icebergs or, you know, snowflakes or <laughs> what else did they call it? Dust, right? I, you know, that's the thing. I just pull things out. Everything has a meaning. Everything, every single thing I show you, it's important. Hmm. But you know, it it seems like I don't know what I'm talking about. So you should just keep following the distractions. June 1st. Can you tell us, have unidentified flying objects been seen? Well, sure. We, we have uh, lots of reports about what we call uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. And this actually... Um, is a program that's been in place for a few years in terms of a task force that that has been uh, there under the National Defense Authorization Act. But as you correctly point out, Maria, there's now a report that will be issued by the by the Pentagon, uh, by the Secretary of Defense, and the Director of National Intelligence. I actually wanted to get this information out and declassified before I left office, but we weren't able to get it down into an uh, an unclassified 
format that we could talk about uh, quickly enough. But, but frankly, there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. Some of those have been declassified. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about objects that have been seen by Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that um, uh, frankly um, engage in actions that are difficult to explain, that um, movements that, uh, that are hard to replicate, that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that you know, exceed the sound barrier without a, a sonic boom. So in short, um, things that we are observing that are difficult to explain. Um, and so uh, you know, there's actually quite a few of those, and I think that that information is being gathered and will, will be put out um, in a way that the American people can see. We always, when we, when we see these things, Maria, we always look for a, a plausible explanation. You know, weather can cause disturbances, visual disturbances. Sometimes we wonder whether or not our adversaries have technologies um, that are a little bit further down the road than we thought or that we realized. But there are instances where we don't have good explanations for some of the things that we've seen. And, um, you know, when that information becomes declassified, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. <laughs> Can you tell us where it was seen? Actually, all over the world. There have been sightings all over the world. And, and when we talk about sightings, the other thing I will tell you is um, it's not just a pilot or just uh, a satellite or some um, uh, intelligence collection. Usually we have multiple sensors that are picking up these things. And so, uh, you know, again, some of this are just their unexplained phenomenon. Um, and uh, there's actually quite a few more than have been made public. So I think it'll be healthy for uh, as much of this information to get out there as possible um, so that the American people can see some wow. of the things that, uh, that we've been dealing with. Okay, well, that, that is pretty extraordinary. We so appreciate that, that you're talking to us about this. Can this year get any weirder? Can it? Oh boy, the whole planet's gonna figure it out. Well, I mean, planet okay so um i did tell you about stuff before uh and you know what i'm gonna do we're gonna go to a quick break quick break to get that coffee going because i'm gonna tell you about a script for a movie that was never published but it was really really weird and i think it's a great story um to how um that ties into uh, what's going on and what should be, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it depends. I mean, will we still be in America the way we know it in June? Will we not? You know, what's happening in the court systems? I mean, there's so much up in the air. Eh, you know, just sure. I mean, there's a lot that is different. You know, we're seeing religious leaders you know of jehovah witness churches telling them to go and get the vaccine which has blood products yet they will die on an operating table refusing to get blood it is so insane so insane we have christian churches promoting the vaccine when they know that Sacrifice little fetuses were used to culture them. This is so insane. You're like, what? Damn. Like I said, the first people marching to hell will be those religious leaders, right? Those are the ones that are the biggest sinners because they have the responsibility to repeat the gospel and make people feel welcome and speak his word. And yet they're using that as a vessel to march people straight into 
he who should not be named. So let's take a break. And, you know, and we'll get back with our coffee and talk about this, you know, movie script that just never happened to come out. It was like, you know, it was supposed to be a blockbuster. It was really going to be a blockbuster. Back in 2016, it was going to be a huge blockbuster. Huge. Because it was written in 2011. It was tidied up by a lot of people. And then it was revamped to make the heroes look like bad people because that is what the people that were controlling the message wanted. But because the producers had seen the original version and they were optimists, they've created movies like this before, big blockbusters. They were just like, yeah, no, not doing that. Sorry, we're going to decline. And then it's like nobody had money after that because, you know, in 2018, they all knew lockdowns were coming and stuff. So that's what's up. So <laughs> I'll see you guys in a bit. Go fill up those coffee cups. I must have dreamed a thousand dreams Been haunted by a million screams But I can hear the marching feet They're moving into the street Did you read the news today? Say the danger's gone away But I can see the fire still alive They're burning into the night There's too many men Too many people making too many problems And not much left to go around so, hope you got your coffee. I did. I think it's like the fifth one for me this morning. I'm only going 10 ounce cups today. So, <laughs> it's been quite a morning. Lots of work being done. Um, I'm really, really busy. I um, did want to address something that I found fascinating. Um, so there was an article that was published and uh, everyone's sharing it because Joe Flynn shared it. And I think I mentioned it yesterday during movie night, which was quite fascinating, right? But apparently, uh, you know, in Michigan, where one of my, where my affidavit is actually filed to, uh, it turns out that a judge uh, decided to, you know, release an audit of the Dominion voting system revealing that the machines and their software were designed to create systemic fraud. You know what's really weird? For all those out there questioning anything, right? Questioning anything. I mean, attacks always increase when you speak truth. It's like the report says exactly what I said in 2019 and in all my filings to Grassley. And no matter how much people wanted to talk shit, right? And don't forget, I met with Joe Flynn. He knew all about this in November. I've met face-to-face -face with him and also expressed to him who had the keys to the kingdom on China. 
And I was terrified that no one was paying attention uh, to that one person that can hand over China on a silver problem. Maybe they did it already. Who knows? Who knows? But apparently a judge decided that that is the case. Now, Russ uh, Ramsfeld, uh, actually, uh, Ramsland, <laughs> I worked with his team in 2019. Great guy. His team, awesome. Even though, even though some of them I want to spank, I still love them. Good intentions, you know. But we work together really closely um, in regards to these things. And, you know, it always circles back to the shit I said. The stuff that I put out. I, I mean, everything. Yet, you know, nobody wants to talk about it. Hmm? It's going to come. I mean, truth can only be hidden so much, right? Chuck Grassley had all this information years ago. <laughs> he had it in 2019, too, with my name on it this time, right? With my name on it. With my name on it. So, you know, uh, I'm a very impatient person. I get very, very rowdy, especially when I see delays that are unnecessary. Unnecessary delay. But... It is what it is. And, you know, God decides. So let's let's talk about this script. Okay, you ready for this script? So it's, it's quite a fascinating one. So it's all set um, in, you know, the CIA offices where, you know, they're under great threat. Because they realized that all these years there was a special division that would monitor royalty, right? And we're not talking royalty of Earth, royalty of outside. So, you know, other beings would find uh, that, uh, you know, they're not allowed to by certain um, conventions to intervene with whatever is happening on planet Earth. But their idea was, is that the, what they could do is they can install their own children there uh, to pay attention to things. And when they would see that there were certain time in their history that things needed to be altered, they would interject. So it would be something as simple. Um, I think like uh, one of the first scenes showed a gentleman who was in Germany uh, during World War II. And um, he pointed out that um, one of the SS soldiers cut his stake into pieces um, and that's um, not how the Europeans eat the food, and hence this is how Hitler found the enemy, uh, which in turn um, helped Hitler in some sense, but it didn't, uh, because that actually was that turning point, that change that needed to be done uh, to be able to... Uh, be it was the beginning of the end of the uh, SS at that point. So that was one of the acts. Another act uh, was um, ensuring that certain people got onto the Heidenberg, <laughs> which burned down, right, uh, which were very evil people uh, that were committing atrocities against um, children that were innocent. Um, these... 
um, children, per se, from the various um, other, you know, civilizations were very religious. They all believed in one God and felt that everyone should have uh, their own um, uh, destiny because he commanded it so. And that um, just because they're better, um, you know, just because they're they're better in technology and have evolved um, that, you know, and they haven't been grabbed hold by fallen angels that it's not their business to correct the course of their history. But in fact, uh, they always witnessed every time um, the creator would intervene and they would always have a heads up uh, to leave uh, because they could command time and space at that point. So anyway, uh, it gives that, it shows those two like scenarios. And then it goes back to, you know, where they were explaining this to a new team that they created because apparently, um, you know, they're not allowed to kill um, uh, these agents of uh, time and space that come and observe or interject. And they realized that um, some of them had infiltrated their ranks. And they referred to the JFK era where he was infiltrated. And therefore, since they couldn't take out the infiltrator, they took out JFK. So this is where their admission was to remove uh, JFK uh, from office. This is just, you know, part of the movie. Right. And so um, as they realize that they're unable to actually um, uh, kill them, you know, they have to just be careful. And they had mandated that they be registered. But the way the registration agreement had happened post JFK was that the only time that they would register is if they were... Um, uh, of a certain age, and if uh, they were engaged in influencing uh, politics. So unless they were lobbyists or activists, uh, none of them uh, had to register. The only time they would register is if they have, uh, you know, self-identified as activists or lobbyists. Now, the concern that they had is that at the same time, uh, you know, four of these beings uh, registered on that database. And so uh, they realized that those beings, uh, you know, never, you know, performed any weird tricks, right? Um, they would always uh, work within the bounds, but they were disrupting, uh, they were disrupting their balance. They were exposing things that they shouldn't be exposing. And the questions that they had were how they would be able to mitigate that. So some uh, out of these four people that popped up at the same time to register, which they considered a threat, right? Um, those four people that came up to register as activists or lobbyists in various nations um, as, you know, as, as foreign to, to them, right? Um, they found that that was a conspiracy against the United States of America, when in fact, the reason that those four arose were because um, they were activated because something really, really bad was happening, uh, that there were bad agents identified uh, from the fallen ones.
And so their job was to help steer humanity away from the fallen ones. So what's um, what's even more bizarre is that, you know, the CIA decides that since they can't kill them, uh, what they were going to do is control them. And they couldn't do that either because you're not allowed to kill them because that's a violation of the treaty. And they knew that those people had families that can wipe them out in a heartbeat and take over in a heartbeat. So the four rose up. They um, registered on the database as activists or lobbyists, and they started to work together, you know, without anyone knowing to counter this evil, you know, agenda that was being placed on the people. But they were also trying to do it in a very subtle way as to maintain the guidelines of the agreements they had of not meddling. But it wasn't fair, they thought, because, you know, the evil ones were violating it too, and they're not on a database and nobody knew. So um, one of them actually dug back to this original tree that happened in the 40s to find a way to um, bring it to the attention of the government. But at that point, the government was so upset that they were already making waves that it started to be a war between truth, evil, and then the perceived truth. And so it showed a dynamic that was really odd. In the end, the good guys win, um, of course, and um, uh, the government fell. The whole U.S. government, the global governments, all of them fell. Um, actually, one nation had a bunch of their politicians all uh, die in one sweep. It was more than 10 of them because of something that was put in the water. And you know, at first people wanted to blame these four benign good beings when it turned out it was the evil ones getting back at the politicians who weren't helping them take out the four people uh, that were activists slash lobbyists um, empowering the people. So it, it, it was it was supposed to be a blockbuster. Um, but in the end, the script wanted to be changed to um, take out the evil agenda part and just show that there that any uh, extraterrestrial being or any being that may be from the future or anything like that is a threat to humankind and should be met with swift force. So the producer declined on producing the movie when it was uh, suggested to be produced in that way because the producer had fallen in love with the, with the first version uh, that was presented, uh, which um, showed the complexities of multi-civilization units, something that we forget even exists in this reality. How every single nation is independent, they have their own cultures, their own ways that uh, people seem to lack respect of. And this is the same thing with other civilizations that may, may be more ahead. So I thought that, um, you know, I should I should bring that up in lieu of what may be um, coming in June, uh, because it sounds quite similar as to, you know, how um, how narratives have controlled even in the entertainment industry. So I thought um, that's pretty interesting. Uh, and, um, it should be something that, that people think of. So when the Pentagon does release that report, if they release that report and how they will release that report, 
Um, we don't know what they will provide, but I'm pretty sure it has to align in somewhat with the original plot of that movie that should have um, been filmed but didn't and um, was rewritten by the newer administration. Um, you know, post 2013, the agency wanted to change it because, you know, if you think that all the scripts of all these movies that you watch are from creative people that sit in their basement and have great ideas, um, you're wrong. I could tell you about 80%, 85% of the films and the shows you watch are created by your own government. Um, the 15 that remain are pretty much um, a great fantasy, great ideas, truth portrayed as fiction. They're then skewed, of course, by, uh, you know, the general outlook, which, which, which brings me back to this. Um, everything you're watching is a movie, okay? Everything has been scripted. Everything, every part, every facet, even your role in it has been put in there. Either that be you or the guy next to you. It's all done by a hand, you know, like a, a grouping of majorities. So it's important um, that uh, people realize what an important role they play in this movie. It's almost like it's an improv because everyone has um, has repeated the same thing over and over again. If you look at history, it's the same thing, only on a different scale. Uh, everything that has happened in the 100 years ago is almost identical to today. If you look between 1917 and 1922, it is identical. Only thing is we don't want the stock market crash, but we will get a crash and it won't be so people can jump off roofs. It's to reset our own economy by blocking the world economy. It's going to look so... Um, it's going to be anti-global, I guess, and people will find it um, a little bit appalling, and it'll hurt for a bit for many, but it'll all fix. Because when you have fake money and fake administrations and fake politicians and fake history and fake everything, the only way you can fix that is by bringing in truth. And truth hurts, man. Truth really, really hurts. It's not, it's not something that um, is easy. It's not something that's easy at all. It really hurts hearing the truth. It really hurts seeing the truth. All of us dislike it. I'd, I, 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 I'm sure I speak for a lot of you. I, I wish sometimes that all I could do is Listen to nice, sweet little lies that pet my ears and make me feel good. But that's not what truth is. Truth is uncomfortable. But once it's there, it's, um, it's beautiful, right? Once you accept it, it's beautiful. Nothing fiat has any foundations. It crumbles like sand, always. Speaking of crumbling like sand... I am so excited. Okay, so someone found the original video of the video that I've been playing for months. And they found, and I told 
you guys, hey, look at this video carefully, uh, all these lies, and we're going to play it again, right? Um, but someone actually found a clip where you can actually hear the screw fall down, right? Um, when in fact, um, you can see the astronaut in zero G gravity grab a screw <laughs> that fell, right? And that was pretty interesting. So I want you guys now with that, you know, for those of you that have um, watched the video on Telegram where someone found it, where, you know, I, people were like, show us where the screw is. And it's like, no, you're going to find it. And when your eyes allow you to see it, you'll see it, right? And that's how people grow by seeing it themselves. You can't have someone show Finally you. Tonight. It doesn't work like that. So let's take a listen uh, and for those of you that are on podcasts, it'll be a nice song intermission. It's always great. But for those of you that are watching this, pay attention to the details, right? Because it took a while, but someone found it. And then you'll see that everything is scripted. She's out of this world. The current commander of the International Space Station about to break a big record tonight. Here's ABC's Gio Benitez. They call it the Peggy Factor, Mission Control's code word for the way superstar astronaut Peggy Whitson always gets the job done. I love it up here. Tonight, Commander Whitson making history with her record for any American. By the time she lands in September, her tally will be 666 days, 666 days in space. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Uh, the problem is we don't have the technology to do that anymore. We used to, but we uh, destroyed that technology and uh, it's a painful process to build it back again. Of course, we don't have TI-84s because that's the type of processor they told everyone they used. But yeah, we don't have that technology. See, lies, 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 and lies. And I wonder, will people finally get the truth? I don't know. He decides. We just go with the flow, right? We just go with the flow and we do what we can because the truth is always hated. Nobody likes the truth. And speaking of truth, speaking of truth, I thought maybe we can revisit Comey's skeletons. So you remember how I told you Comey was on the board of directors at HSBC and, you know, he got busted. Well, HSBC got busted uh, because they were laundering for the cartels. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that? Yeah. Interesting. The cartels. The cartels don't like me at all. Because <laughs> he got busted for this. Oh, oh, but he was rewarded FBI director, <laughs> even though this all happened under his purview. Pay attention. Of the biggest banks in the world, HSBC started laundering Mexican cartel money. Wait until you hear about the extremely simple trick to hide everything. Mexican cartels are essentially huge businesses. Huge illegal businesses that generate massive amounts of income. We're essentially talking about billions of dollars a year. And things aren't slowing down for these cartels. In fact, business is growing and it's booming. Record high production trends were noticed by the World Health Organization in 2018, meaning that profits in recent years have been even bigger. It totally makes sense because the population keeps growing. And if the percentage of people who are customers stay the same, that means the revenue grows. 
So, okay, we know that the business Mexican cartels are doing is illegal and it's big. So how do they actually move all that money? If you think about it, their business isn't exactly an online business. Making the money is the relatively easy part of the cartel since they can control that themselves. Almost all of the money that they get is street money, assuming that they're controlling all the operation from top to bottom. But moving the cash and getting it into bank accounts is where things get tough. The cartels have to deal with a lot of money that aren't $100 bills. For example, a million bucks alone in $5 bills would weigh well over 400 pounds. Moving the money physically into Mexico alone is a huge pain. While many small cartels take the risk of smuggling cash back to Mexico in bulk, more sophisticated cartels don't do that. The biggest cartels have billions of dollars they have to deal with. Here's how they cleaned the money. We're going to give you guys a crap. Before we get into that, let's just remember, I was asking, hey, what's up with El Chapo? What happened with El Chapo? And then like a week, two weeks later, El Chapo's wife is arrested. And it's like, oh, coincidence. Wait till you see what happens. But did you see how the World Health Organization was mentioned there? <laughs> yep. Crash course on money laundering. There are plenty of different ways to launder money, but they essentially boil down to two ways. The first method is laundering money through a bank. The cartel will first deposit their money at a bank. Then a process known as layering begins. The cartel will send the money through various wire transfers to a lot of different accounts. That means a lot of transfers to a lot of different names in a lot of different countries. The cartel will hire a veritable army of people to deposit small amounts of cash in banks all over the country in cities large and small. They'll vary the amount of their deposits and withdrawals in order to make the paper trail way harder to follow in case anyone decides to check on anything. A lot of these people get caught anyways, but to the cartels, that's simply the cost of doing business. Once the money is back in the money system, it can now be used. But the biggest problem with this method is because of the $10,000 limit. You probably know that the IRS requires a bank to report any deposits over $10,000. With billions of dollars to launder, you can imagine how tedious that amount of money can get. It's almost extremely tedious unless you can get the bank in on it. The second method is laundering the money through what's called trade-based laundering. This was a technique El Chapo's cartel developed into an art form. The simplest way to do this is by buying easily sold high-end items such as, say, a Rolex or a gold bar from a legitimate company in the U.S. Anything that's more like a commodity, the better. Then they would sell the item back in Mexico for pesos. The more sophisticated method is actually owning legitimate cash-based businesses and laundering the money that way. A real quick example would be a restaurant. A lot of restaurants involved in money laundering are actually legitimate businesses with a real staff, a real menu, and real profits. The dirty money will be mixed in with the clean money. The dirty money is essentially explained with fake profits. You can't launder money through a business using anything that's traceable, so cartels are looking for business with a lot of cash turnover. Cash is not traceable, so any cash-intensive business are used to launder money. Laundromats, used car dealerships, and restaurants are some of the most popular businesses. For example, El Chapo's cartel laundered money through the Los Angeles Fashion District. This cartel was exploiting the immigrant-heavy garment industry's relaxed attitude toward reporting large transactions. This allowed the cartel to buy clothes in large quantity and ship the clothes across the border where they were sold for pesos. So if it's so tough to launder money, then how did the cartels get so big and powerful? There's also another question you may be thinking about now. Why isn't Mexico putting a stop to all of that? One word, corruption. 
There's a lot of corruption in the Mexican government. Well, some of it is a choice. But at the same time, a lot of it isn't. A famous saying goes, people are forced to either accept the bribe or face the consequences. A lot of times, cartel members would show up at a place of business and ask them to do whatever it was they needed them to do. And of course, there would be a cash bribe placed on the table. But at the same time, cartel members would have already done their research. They would place pictures of that employee's family members on the table. Obviously, the people would know how to take a hint. So a lot of people are between a rock and a hard place. Corruption, forced or unforced in Mexico, has contributed to the domination of Mexican cartels. So where exactly does one of the world's biggest banks, HSBC, come into this? Vidal Bank was a bank used by the Sinaola cartel, the one El Chapo ran. They're still the most powerful cartel in the world. Well, they needed a lot of money laundered, and doing it through a bank was one of their ways. And Vidal was the bank that El Chapo's cartel picked. A lot of money was coming and going from the Vidal Bank. And in case you guys didn't know it, there were a lot of corrupt officials working at the bank. HSBC was looking for a larger presence in Mexico. And that's why in 2002, HSBC acquired Vidal Bank, which was the fifth largest bank in Mexico at the time. You'd expect that an international bank that operates across several continents and the... All right, let's just talk about HSBC for a second. Just for a second. So I was in Asia and I noticed the Hong Kong bank. And I was like, wow, you know, the logo, bow tie, it was very, you know... Um, very aggressive. And I heard that they were having problems opening up uh, branches in Macau at that time. We're talking like, we're talking early, the late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, things happen, whatever, blah, blah. And it's almost like HSBC was a plague. It's like, is this Hong Kong or is this China? Turns out it's Chinese back bank. I don't care what anybody says about it being a Hong Kong bank. It's totally Chinese. Oh, Chinese. Oh. And um, it spread like a plague across Europe. Suddenly it was one of the biggest brick and mortar in the United Kingdom, in France. They were just everywhere. While the Arabs were trying to push in with Mafin Bank um, and coming in, they were huge. And then next thing you know, it's 2010 and they're growing in the United States of America like crazy. I'm like, how did this happen in 10 years? How did this one bank that was fighting to get to Macau suddenly appeared everywhere? It's, it's so bizarre. It's almost as if China ensured that it was everywhere. And what better place to do business in the U.S. and Mexico when you have former FBI Director Comey sitting on the board, right? That's what you have to think about. Cartels, politicians sitting on the boards. And when they got caught for money laundering, he was rewarded with the position of FBI Director, of course. He was never held accountable for it. Largest bank in Europe would look into Bidal. And yes, HSBC did. They noticed lots of money flooding into Bidal Bank. And that was something HSBC wanted a piece of. Banks that are as big as HSBC definitely don't shoot in the dark. They definitely do their due diligence. HSBC had their own rating system for determining how risky a banking culture was. Before they enter a market, they rate the banking system in that specific country, with the lowest level of risk being rated as standard and the highest as high. For Beedal, HSBC somehow rated them as standard, the lowest level of risk. This was in spite of plenty of evidence that there could be large amounts of unmonitored cash that was flooding the bank. 
HSBC was advised to introduce high levels of control for bank transactions. But they stood by their choice that the level of risk was low in Mexico, contrary to the evidence. They made a conscious decision to not look closely at the transactions that were going on at the bank. Essentially, HSBC bought a bank that was filled with cartel bank accounts. And we get it. When banks buy another bank, they want to maximize their profits. They were easily taking in hundreds of thousands of dollars a day from the cartel. To speed up the deposits, cartel members even designed specially shaped boxes that fit the size of teller windows at HSBC branches. HSBC grew to be known as the place to launder money in Mexico among cartels. Between 2007 and 2008, for example, HSBC Mexico shipped out roughly $7 billion to HSBC's U.S. branches. That was more money than any other HSBC affiliates. Mexican and U.S. authorities were extremely concerned back then that cartels were able to circumvent the anti-money laundering controls at U.S. banks by transporting U.S. dollars to Mexico and then use HSBC Mexico to transfer it to the U.S. HSBC didn't care. They just wanted to make as much money as possible from their Mexican branches. And this went on for years. The cartels were happy and HSBC was happy. How did it ever all come crashing down? Enter Zen Li Egon, or who's better known as El Chino in the narco world. He's a Chinese-Mexican businessman who ran a company in Mexico called Unimed. This was a wholesale pharmaceutical company that did business in Mexico. From 2002 to 2004, Unimed was legally authorized by the Mexican government to import thousands of tons of different chemicals into Mexico. This included precursor chemicals that cartels would need to make their newest product. Let's just say that El Chino didn't make his fortune through his pharmaceutical company. He's a member of El Chapo's cartel. So the cartels would get the ingredients they needed from Unimed. However, on July 1st, 2005, Unimed's license ran out. But Zenli Yigan continued to import chemicals without a license. That's when police decided to raid his house in Mexico City. So in March 2007, the Mexico government went into his house and made an insane discovery. They found over 200 million US dollars in cash. The cash was all over the place. There were just stacks and stacks of cash everywhere. That's when the police found out that he had been doing a lot of banking with HSBC. This is in addition to the cash he had on hand in his mansion. HSBC Mexico began to actually look into his records and found out that he had been banking with them for a long time. He was moving so much money that HSBC London, the bank's headquarters, began getting suspicious. They had given an order to its Mexican branch years ago in 2004 that they had to close his account. That never happened. Because a bank can get into big trouble whenever they aid illegal activities through money laundering, it's in their best interest to get to know their customers. But HSBC never did that. It wasn't only El Chino that had these money laundering issues. It was a bunch of other people that were doing money laundering all over the U.S. Investigators noticed a lot of shady criminal transactions throughout different areas of the U.S. One particular thing they realized is that these transactions had triggered anti-money laundering alerts set in place at HSBC. One particular example is a doctor in West Virginia. Dr. Barton Adams was essentially committing fraud with Medicaid and Medicare. He was stealing millions of dollars from these programs by seeking duplicate payments and billing for services not performed. He underreported his income with false tax returns, and then he laundered the money. HSBC moved all of his money around for him to his shell companies and never asked any questions. These types of transactions were just the tip of the iceberg. HSBC was moving billions of dollars around for many criminal organizations and other corrupt businessmen. Like we said earlier, HSBC did have anti-money laundering systems in place. A bank usually has tight controls all around their operations. 
This definitely reminds us about Disney World and all their weird rules. Find out more about secrets Disney doesn't want you to hear, but they just ignored it. For example, if someone tries to move $50,000 for the first time, the system will generate an alert. Usually, someone at the bank will ask a few questions, but not at HSBC. The system at HBSB gave out plenty of these warnings, but it just seemed that no one cared enough to act on them. Billions of dollars were moved throughout HSBC, but ended up missing. And that means one thing. It's money used to fund illegal activities. The OCC, or the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, is a federal agency that's responsible for monitoring the bank system for the U.S. After these money laundering problems were noticed at HSBC, the OCC sent a warning notice to them in 2010. Basically, the OCC let HSBC know that they uncovered some suspicious activity and they're going to be looking closer at their activities. After receiving a warning from the OCC, HBC was like, you know what? The OCC is right. We should start paying more attention to what's happening with our transactions. One of the things that the OCC told HSBC to do was to go back and look at its questionable transactions. So HSBC decided to create a special department to do this. So HSBC hired a bunch of people. They were what HSBC called AML experts. These were anti-money laundering experts who were supposed to go through all backlogs and double check for any missed alerts. Apparently, there were over 17,000 missed alerts. HSBC was basically forced to hire this team by the OCC. So HSBC did what any bank would do, and that's follow OCC's orders. HSBC hired as many of these auditors as possible since they had a huge backlog of these missed alerts. So they hired AML experts, actually started working their way through these missed system alerts. There's basically a blacklist of people and organizations that banks should not be doing business with called the OFAC sanctions list. What the AML experts found was that there were a ton of transactions involving a lot of people on the sanctions list. So if any individual or organization is on the list, transactions automatically do not go through. But how were these transactions approved and going through at HSBC? HSBC used dashes and dots to hide the names of anyone on the list. Here's a silly example to help you understand how they did this. Let's say someone named John Smith was on this blacklist and someone wants to send money to John Smith. Now, sending money to John Smith would not be possible since he's on the list. So to get around that, HSBC would have the name in theirs as J-O-dot-H-N Smith or some variation. Someone at HSBC would manipulate the spelling of the name in order to get around the system. It seems like HSBC London headquarters knew all about the shady business going on. Or did they? Did they want their AML experts to actually check for anything? Because a few of the AML experts actually figured things out. After it became clear that something's up, the CIA got involved. After further investigation, HSBC executives went in front of the Senate. So what happened? HSBC's attitude was somewhat along the lines of, yes, yes, we know, let's get this over with and move on with life. We'll fix this sometime. HSBC essentially admitted that so let me just stop one second there. How many years have I been saying misspellings are very important? The way they spell names are important, Osama, Usama, right? Very, very important for obfuscation. Now, while um, people will love to show on this, well, I guess this is going to be another one of those, mm, we talked about that, kind of like we did with the OFT, and then suddenly that was in the news, and it's like, but I'm a LARP. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, wait, I'm the PSYOP. Mm. 
I'm just saying there's a lot of things that I've been consistent because consistency in the message and the tone is key. And therefore, you can see a lot more now. I've talked about the BCCI. I mentioned that in 2019, outed Amalgamated Bank. But one thing people won, and then we have Bank of America voluntarily providing all information about their customers. I mean, let's talk mainstream a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the corporations. You've got to be paying attention because what's about to happen in the next few weeks is quite interesting. That these transactions did happen, but they said that it wasn't their fault. Executives just pushed the blame down the line. Blame was pushed around everywhere, but everyone just said that they didn't know anything. In July 2012, a U.S. Senate committee issued a report that stated that HSBC breached money laundering rules. Executives should have gone to jail, but instead, what happened? Nothing. No one was fined. No one was charged at the bank. Just the bank itself was. Oh, uh, one thing did happen. Comey got FBI director because he should have been in jail. It was fine. HSBC and the U.S. government settled in 2012. The U.S. attorney was actually forced to step down and drop any charges against the bank. With the settlement, HSBC was penalized $1.9 billion, the largest fine ever under the Bank Secrecy Act. That fine was for violating four U.S. laws designed to protect the U.S. financial system. It may sound like a lot of money, until so you realize that $1.9 billion was only equivalent to five weeks of HSBC's profit that year. HSBC laundered at the very least $881 million through the U.S. financial system for cartels. These are just known transactions. The real number can be easily in the billions. They also failed to monitor more than $670 billion in wire transfers and more than $9.4 billion in purchases of physical dollars from its Mexico unit. HSBC acknowledged that for years it had ignored warning signs that cartels in Mexico. All right, let me stop there because I should start doing this to these, you know, people that say things. Tori says things will be interesting or getting good, but never says what or how. Well, the fact that you're here and you're listening to truth is a good thing. And how they're getting better is by truth. That's the way it's done. I don't sell hopium. I sell you facts. And that's the way it is. So, hmm. Quite interesting. How pessimistic do you want me to give you dates? Do you want me to take your hand to a tribunal? Maybe you would like me to fly you to Gitmo. That's not happening. Because even if I was to show you what's happening, you wouldn't have the eyes to see it or the ears to hear it because you make statements like this. And that's, and it's not to just put you on the spot like there's 20 million of you going on. But if you actually paid attention for over three years that I've been tweeting, posting, talking, and sharing articles, I urge you to go read mine. They've been months and months ahead of the game. And that's because I just want you to know the truth. And sometimes giving you the information before the truth arises and hits you in the face is a lot easier. So those of you that have been listening are like, yep, not impressed. Oh, crap. OFT, I heard that. Oh, whoa, GSAM, heard that too. Look at that come into the news.
Why did I tell you that? Because everything I'm showing you this before it happens so that you can understand that there are actually people that know what's going on and that things are moving along as they should. Obviously not on the time speed that I would like. I am a very, very impatient person. I like, if I have an idea today, I want that shit done yesterday. So I am the most impatient person you will ever, ever come across. But in this, I must have patience because it's not me that controls actions. It's you. It's the people. And every single action you make, every single comment you make, every single discussion you make, every single choice you make affects everyone. You just don't understand that yet, but you will. You will. And some already have, some will. Mexico were using its branches to launder millions of dollars. But the U.S. government didn't go hard after HSBC, even though they determined HSBC helped to launder massive amounts of money for cartels. The government had an opportunity to punish HSBC for their transgressions back in 2012, but they decided to not do it. No one knows why the government decided to not go after clear white-collar crime. Basically, HSBC sold their soul to the devil. They decided to do business with illegal organizations just so they could pocket billions of dollars in profits. This allowed cartels to operate in Mexico and the U.S. without impunity. When HSBC bought Vidal Bank, it's our suspicion that they knew exactly what they were buying. They knew that the cartels were a growing business and that specific businesses would grow. So they basically bought up these accounts and decided to continue to do business with them. And in order to continue to do business, they helped to hide cartel members and other criminal identities with a simple system of dots and dashes. The executives wanted the criminal business, and because it's a lot of money and they were okay with whatever that came with it, even when they were caught, they still didn't care. They just put up some fake resistance just because the OCC told them to. They basically tried to hire as many incompetent auditors in order to show OCC that they at least tried. But the auditors actually uncovered their simple little method that allowed transactions to go through. It's hard to think that HSBC executives had no clue what was going on and that they were not in on this. During their public statement, their spokesperson added that a part of the bonuses for senior level executives would go towards paying the fine. What do you guys think? Did HSBC knowingly do this? Watch this next video to find out about secret. Is that a question, you guys? Is that a question? Is that a question? Hiring incompetent auditors that in turn expose the crap out of them. <laughs> you know, when you take someone that is completely unqualified or may not have the experience you need and say, do the job, and you know that your the job is above your pay grade, guess what happens? That gives motivation to someone. See, when you give a person a chance, they will shine like a diamond in the sky. And boy, they did. Those incompetent people were competent enough to expose the fraud. Wonder if Comey was during, you know, testifying to, I mean, he did, he did, uh, you know, he sat on the board. So I'm just saying. So, 
so that for HSBC. Now, why is that important? Because in the coming weeks, you're going to see some crazy stuff. So it's important that people understand uh, ways that uh, big corporation bribes, uh, bribe governments and how to get rich by bribing politician and what businesses, what is a business gift and a bribe? I think we should cover that today right quick. I, um, I believe that we should start with the how to get rich by bribing politicians because it's a quite a fun clip to watch and listen to uh, because this is um, a full reality right here. Or not managed to make it big and built yourself a nice giant successful business. You were on top of the world, but you're ambitious. You want more, more money, more profits. You want to crush and suffocate your competitors. The only problem is the thing that got you here in the first place, being innovative and serving your customers well, will only get you so far moving forward. So what do you do? You turn to selling your products for a loss, buying up your competitors, buying up other businesses in your product supply chain and other monopolistic practices. But unfortunately today with those pesky antitrust laws, that's just not an option anymore. It looks like you might just have to keep innovating to stay alive. God, I feel exhausted just thinking about it. But what if I told you there was another way? What if I told you that instead of just working harder, providing a better service and innovating to grow and stay afloat, we could just have the almighty government crush our competitors for us. Now intuitively, you might be thinking that, well, gee, Jake, that sounds all good and stuff, but how would anyone be okay with giving the government that much power to make the lives of big businesses easier? That's a fair point, but there's a very easy way around it. See, instead of just outright proclaiming to everyone our monopolistic intentions, we just, you know, slap some makeup on the pig and say that's in the public's best interests. Instead of telling Congress that we want you to crush our competitors for us, we tell the world that we need government to protect consumers from greedy, unsafe businesses. All right, so here's where you're going to hear something that you're not going to like, but it's fact, and you guys need to be making the noise. So. Walgreens, Walmart, Target, CVS, Whole Foods. Well, not really. They don't have a pharmacy. But those places that I mentioned are pharmaceutical dispensaries. And there are many other retail outlets, Jill Osco, Meyer, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, what if I told you that um, there are communications between these big corporations, right? Where they're discussing on how to put pressure, yeah, Kroger, all of them, okay? All the supermarkets, big box retailers that have pharmaceuticals, okay? What if I told you that there's communications between them and hypothetically speaking, of course, just saying, uh, between them and pharmaceutical companies in regards to vaccination certifications. We need everybody on this planet to get these vaccines, but we can't force the government to make sure that people get vaccinated. They're not allowed to impose it. You need to help us strong arm them. Keep that in mind while I remind you how Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens, Amazon, all of these companies, these big influential retailers said, if you guys don't accept that Biden is president, we're not giving you money. You're getting zero dollars from us. 
It's like, hmm, you're a public servant. Why would you give any fucks if Walmart's giving you money? So then, knowing that, let's go back to the hypothetical situation. So there's communications between these companies, and they're like, watch us swerve. In order to shop inside any of our facilities, you must be vaccinated. And we require proof. But that's a HIPAA thing. Yeah, so it's for the greater good. Government, you need to push for these vaccines or else we're not going to be providing services. Yeah, that's kind of unconstitutional. Well, I guess you're not getting money. See how that works? I want you guys to pay attention. See how that works? See how it works. And then I want you to remember how President Trump met with all the big retailers when this um, control of virus hit to make sure that they can keep up with the necessities of feeding people. But now there may be communications because the pharmaceutical company says, you take this home for us. Guess what? You'll be charging these idiots $600 for insulin, but you'll only have to pay us a dollar. How does that sound? Sounds great to me. That's a $599 profit for every person that's diabetic that comes to my store to get insulin. I'm game. Great. Watch us turn up the heat to these politicians. You see how that works? You see how that works? Damn, and to think that the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division is doing the job, their job. Damn, and the Consumer Affairs. Boy, boy, boy. So interesting. So having that in mind, let's move along with this. That the internet is just too powerful. It's too important not to regulate. I, I think the real question as the internet becomes more important in people's lives is what is the right regulation, not whether there should but, but be or you. While little does the public know that we're the greedy businesses we're saying to protect them from. That even though we can afford all the lawyers and fees that these regulations require to navigate, <laughs> our pathetic competitors can't much or less that little startup trying to get off the ground. Or in other words, we need to learn how to play the game of crony capitalism. Since you're going to be learning how to make boatloads of money as a crony capitalist in this video, you might as well protect that money in your pocket with a quality smart wallet like this one from Exter. Viewers of this channel get a 15% discount with free shipping and free We're doing our thing. Business is going great. Customers love our products. So let's just keep keeping to ourselves. So they spend $0 on lobbying or cronyism. And then one day in 1998, after the politicians kept seeing just how much money Microsoft were making that they weren't getting their cut of, knock knock, Bill Gates is called into the Senate hot seat. And at this hearing, Bill Gates was unfazed, fearless even. They were literally brought in front of Congress. They were yelled at by a Republican, Aaron Hatch from Utah. He said, you guys need to get involved here in Washington, D.C. You need to build a building here. You need to hire lawyers here. In other words, the unspoken text, you need to bribe me. And Gates left that hearing the same way he came in. You leave us alone, and we'll leave you alone. Fast forward six months later, Microsoft got another knock on the door, this time from the Justice Department. Microsoft was found guilty for giving away a great product for free. This is Internet Explorer at a time when we were buying Netscape and paying money for it, they offered it for free. And that was deemed, you know, bad business practice. Nothing is free. If something is free, you're the commodity. This is, they were trying to They spent the next 10 years fighting that case, devoting a ton of time, money, and resources to it. Guess how much Microsoft spends today in Washington, D.C.? How much? 
tens of millions of dollars. They have a beautiful building about equal distance from the White House and from the uh, for Congress. They have lawyers, they have lobbyists. Microsoft learned its lesson. They got punished for innovating. So if you're making a ton of money and you don't pander to the politicians, the vultures will inevitably come to your door. So if it's inevitable that we're gonna have to defend ourselves against greedy politicians, instead of just defending ourselves, why not profit from it too? The other big tech companies have learned from Microsoft's mistakes and now take a more offensive approach. Back in 2018, Amazon was facing a lot of bad press for how horrible life was for workers in their warehouses and how some of their bottom workers were having to live off of food stamps because their wage was just too low. Jeff Bezos on Amazon Prime Day became worth $150 billion. When he's worth that much money, you begin to start asking the question, are companies like this who are paying their employees so little gaming the system joining me now whether or not that was true doesn't matter jeff bezos had two choices he could either ignore the pressure and just keep investing more money into making amazon better to keep his customers happy with low prices or he could raise the minimum wage to make the critics happy he chose the latter option and raised the minimum wage to 15 dollars for all amazon workers saying that we listened to our critics thought hard about what we wanted to do and decided we want to lead it sounds so noble so self-sacrificing sacrificing but you and I know better. Because shortly after, he also announces that he'll be lobbying Congress to increase the minimum wage to $15 per hour, which is a nicer way of saying that Jeff is gently bribing politicians to allow the government to force his competitors' expenses up. So let's stop that right there. Great observation, Orrin Hatch from Utah. Is this why he retired? I don't know. You tell me. But I'd like to say, you know, while all these massive, you know, corporations, let's go to grocery stores. I was watching on TikTok the other day a bunch of employees that work for big box retailers big lots, um, supermarkets like, uh, you know, uh, Kroger's, uh, Jewel Osco, uh, Myers, uh, Whole Foods. So it was these women that were like, you know, I worked in retail so long and, you know, it's just disgusting. Here's what it is. Now think about this. We all know this and uh, nobody wants to talk about it. But do you know that a woman, she was like, you know, I had, I had moved into my apartment after an abusive relationship. My two sons and I were sleeping on a mattress. And one day I'm driving by big lots and there they are putting in a dumpster, three new sofas that were brand new. Right. But when I reached up there, I saw that they had used a box cutter to slice the cushions, the back about it, everything. And so another lady said there was food that was on the shelf that wasn't expiring for about a month and her uh, big box retailer, right, a supermarket would take it and throw it away and she'd say, well, don't throw it away. I can give it to my church, right? And they said, nope. Do you know why? Do you know why that happens? Because that would be considered charity, See, when you file your taxes, you can have losses. I lost this money. I lost this product. Why don't you ask yourself of that sexy bed, um, what is it called? Bath and Body Works, where they beat up a woman for not wearing a mask. They actually destroy candles rather than give them away, right? 
in order to get rid of the ones that have been phased out. So the question you should ask yourself, and one thing that I'm sure you can get the left to get on the side of what you say, is that your county should make it illegal that supermarkets throw out their expired foods. That's what you should do. Why don't you do that? You will not find anyone in, in, on the left that will disagree with you. Because, see, when that happens, all these uh, fake uh, virtue signaling shit will go down the drain. See, this is how you fight Goliath with little stones like this. Why don't you start a movement in your county, grab a hold of your state legislator and said, here's what I want. We've got a lot of people in poverty. We got a lot of people hungry because of this control of virus. Here's what we need to do. We need to say that in our county, no supermarket, no retail organization is allowed to throw away products that have not expired. If they get caught, they will, they will not be able to do business in our county. Or what we will do is we will charge them a shit ton of fines until they max out their strikes and then we kick them out. I mean, think about it. What lefty that claims solidarity, that claims socialism, that claims all of these things won't get behind that? Think of that. Which one? Which one will not stand by that? Absolutely no one. So that is a question you should ask yourself. Because a woman on the TikTok was saying, well, I asked my company, let's just donate it to the church or to the food bank. And they said it would be way too much paperwork. Just throw it away. Do you know why? Well, if you guys watched movie night yesterday, and if you haven't, you should watch it. It's a movie from 2011 called In Time, and Justin Timberlake stars in it. In that, they would steal away time from people, but they couldn't have too many people with time. Kind of like, you can't have people all having money and food, because then there's no want. And if there's no scarcity or any attempts to work hard to get it, then you lose. There's no point in you having too much because you're all equal. Make sense? It means that people like Mark Cuban are no different to you. He was just really good at selling a company, but you can have that opportunity too, right? Uh, not if they don't give you enough food. Not if they don't give you enough chances. Not if they don't give you the right education. I'm, I'm just saying. So this is all about bribes right? Big companies, gifts and bribes. It's pretty interesting. There are a lot of ways that governments are bribed by big companies. And um, there's something called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. I think we should review this for a second. I mean, that's why we have FISA, right? Foreign Corrupt Practices Act of 1977 prohibits bribing of government officials not only on US soil but also everywhere outside the United States. Still, big corporations find loopholes 
and loose ends to circumvent FCPA and engage in corrupt practices of bribing a government official. Did you know that Hillary Clinton was paid $675,000 by Goldman Sachs for three speeches? Now, if I'm someone who is paid this much amount of money for a speech, I'll be quite generous to my peers. Alan Greenspan, one of the architects of 2008 financial crisis and the then Fed chairman, was awarded the Enron Award for Distinguished Public Service. What's surprising is that Enron was involved in a big financial scandal of manipulating their books, which finally led to its bankruptcy. Although Greenspan turned down the cash prize associated with the award, it's still one of the cleanest ways to influence a government official. So basically, you're paying huge amounts of money for rather mundane things. A government official comes, he gives a personal appearance accompanied with a 20-minute speech and gets awarded millions of dollars in the process. In return, the government official favors the said company. One of the very ingenious ways of making the bribe legal. Yes, you heard it right. Legal bribe. This term exists. Now, what happens in the case of legal bribe is one party sues another party and they start a court proceeding. Once the court proceedings start, the two parties settle the case outside the court for an undisclosed amount, where this amount is actually a bribe. This way, the money is fully white and legal. One of the very Did you catch that? I want to I want to repeat that because you have to listen to that carefully. If you file a lawsuit against someone, right? Two losers file a lawsuit against each other and they know they're filing a lawsuit. They could start filing and then they'll settle outside of court. So the one guy can give the other guy a big payoff without getting caught because it's above board. It's by the court. It was for a civil suit. Now we should rewind to the Enron times. We should rewind to the California Raisin times. We should rewind to the HSBC Times. We should rewind to a lot of these uh, hmm, corporation times. Pay attention. Even the government sues big companies. Uh, under Obama, they did to get paid. Very subtle ways of bribing a U.S. politician is called system of revolving doors. U.S. senators promote the bills that benefit the lobby firms representing the wealthy individuals and corporations. In return, when the senator retires from Senate or the Congress, the said politician is often offered a position in management board of the company that benefited the most. Needless to say, the compensation of the politician who is employed at the board level of the company runs into millions. Most of the times, big corporations bribe foreign government officials to gain advantage in landing public contracts with foreign governments or getting some tax benefits in a foreign land. The Organization for Economic Corporation and Development, OECD, analyzed 427 foreign bribery cases between 1999 and 2014. There were bribes given and taken both in rich and poor countries. According to the data, the number of cases resulting into punishment has fallen since its peak in 2011. It still remains historically high. Walmart made donations to Mexican government of around $16 million in late 2005. Speed store expansions. Generally, these type of corrupt practices exist where the market is highly regulated. Example, in China. In China, where almost every industry is regulated, Gareth Peterson, Managing Director of Morgan Stanley's real estate investment and fund advisory business, 
cooked the books and secretly arranged to have millions of dollars paid to himself and a Chinese official through an offshore company. Now regardless who paid the bribe to whom, it's difficult to digest the fact that the top management on both the sides were not aware of what was happening. Whether the bribe was paid in the form of astronomical fees for a 20-minute speech or donations or expensive gifts or any other ways. What it does is, it increases the cost of production for that company and big corporations recover that cost by increasing cost of essential products and services or by paying its employees less in the country with weaker employment laws. Thus, in general, the cost is actually borne by the society as a whole. Also, it inhibits new companies from entering the industry if it can't afford to pay bribes. Only the big corporations get all the benefits and tax breaks. The gap between the rich and the poor widens. Hi guys, I make videos on any topic that has the how awesome was that? How awesome was that? So what did you learn today? Hmm. Some civil suits were created simply to become payoffs, like the way Walmart donated through, through civil suits. $16 million to Mexico. Think of how many people sued what companies. Just think about that because that's going to come into focus soon. Think about all these places that have been sued by, I don't know, legislators, the U.S. government, <laughs> government versus government. I mean, that's the most legal way. Deutsche Bank settlement. <sighs> you have to think individual. You have to think a little bit outside the box because they're smart, but they're not smarter than you. And you know what you are? You represent truth. So there you go. So you learned today how, how <laughs> they make money. You learned today how they have people in high places. You learned today how your banks are screwing you. You learned today that some civil suits are simply there to be payoffs. Just thought I would bring that up because that should be coming into fruition and into focus very, very soon. So time to break those chains, huh? This week is going to be fun. Stay tuned. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Those of you on Twitch, we're going to start a raid soon. God bless. To prepare for these Stripping in the world could be dangerous Everybody's stuck on this poultry race Negative, nepotist Everybody's waiting for the fallen man Everybody's praying for the end of times Everybody hoping they could be the one I was born to run, I was born for this Whip, whip, run me like a race horse Pull me like a rip cord Break me down, build me up I wanna be the slip, slip Word upon your lip, lip Letter that you rip, rip Break me down, build me up Whatever it takes Cause I love it, trembling in my face I'll do whatever it takes Cause I love how it feels when I break the chains Whatever it takes Yeah, I'll take my time, time I'm ready for whatever it takes Cause I love it, trembling do what it takes. I'm being typical. Looking at my body, feeling miserable. Always hanging on to the visual. I wanna be invisible. Looking at my ears like a mighty dome. Everybody needs to be a part of them. Never being up on the bridal sun. I was born a run. I was born for.